0: You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network.
1: Hello, this is DG Chichester, and you are listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast.
0: Hello and welcome back to the Full Box Podcast. I am your host, Curtis Findlay, and I'm here today with a special interview by DG Chichester. Last week I released our episode Fall from Grace, which covered that period of Daredevil from the 90s that he wrote. And uh, and, and I had clips throughout that episode with uh, Chichester talking about Daredevil and Electra, the new Daredevil costume, um, talking about the Tree of Knowledge. And all of that comes from this interview right here. Here's the full hour long interview. Um, but before we get into that, I just want to mention that uh, you can hear some other exclusive interviews over at Patreon. For those of you who are Patreon supporters, you can pledge at five bucks and get access to some great interviews. And if you want to send me an email, you can send it to epicmarvelpodcast at gmail.com or you can uh, tweet me um, at epicmarvelpod or find me on Facebook. So here it is special interview with DG Chichester. <laughs> Did you grow up reading Daredevil as a kid, or what's your uh, past association with Daredevil?
1: Oddly enough, I didn't read many Marvel comics at all growing up. I, I read mostly um, DC, whether it was the initials, <laughs> I don't oh. know, or, uh, or or whatever. DC was kind of my my thing. My brother read a little bit of Marvel, um, mostly the Avengers. I kind of remember. The Hulk. I remember the Thor. You know, Thor showing up. Right. But uh, I was aware of all the characters. I knew all the characters. This would become sort of a, a good in when I uh, got my job at Marvel. But I really can't say that I, I invested a lot of um, time or heart into them in the same way that I did uh, the DC characters. Now that would change once I, I got on staff and and uh, you know got uh, more invested in them there.
0: Right. Right. Of course. Now, when you did get on staff, uh, you were doing a lot of editing initially. Is that correct?
1: That's right. I started uh, as <laughs> I started as the assistant to the assistant of the editor in chief, which <laughs> okay. was uh, which was either um, a very low level position. It was a very low level position, uh, but it was actually good because while I had lots of gopher jobs and really kind of remedial things to do, uh, I was literally right next to. Jim Shooter was the editor in chief. Right, I was right next to his office and constantly, kind of exposed to uh, his conversations, his points of view. Uh, everybody passing back and forth, obviously, to go see him. Um, and then from there, uh, I moved into an assistant editor's job in the Epic uh, Comics office. And I don't know if you're familiar with Epic yep, or, yep, but they were. Kind of the more eclectic creator owned uh division uh a lot of um kind of cut no, cutting edge i guess in a way certainly in terms of production values what you might think of as more um independent uh, titles today maybe but it was a great training ground again because i was working directly with uh, archie goodwin who was wow. uh, obviously one of the the big names uh, forever yes. and suddenly i i was close to that um body of knowledge, Uh, and then from there became an editor uh, in that division and worked on a lot of creator-owned titles as well. So my background uh, was editorial, and uh, and that's a great training ground, again, because you're working with a lot of different creators, you're being exposed to different ways of thinking, and you're hopefully helping them to improve their stories uh, as they go along.
0: And while you were editing on um, with the Epic line, I saw that you were an editor for Electra Assassin.
1: Well, the credit to Electra Assassin as an editor goes to Joe Duffy. Joe Joe was the uh, one of the other big editors uh, uh, at Epic. Okay. And she was the driver behind that. She had an extremely close relationship with uh, with Frank Miller with Bill Cabbage. I was one of I was the assistant to several editors within the epic
0: division, <laughs> okay, my so so I was you know
1: Dan here Dan here Dan here, and uh so Joe was one of the main editors, Archie was the main one, Joe was his lieutenant, Margaret Clark was another editor, yeah, and so I was the assistant on on electro assassin, but I do not want to take credit for being um an editor. I did have a larger role in the electro assassin collection, the collected edition. So uh, that I, I drove a bit more.
0: What do you mean by a larger role in that collection? What did you have to do for that?
1: Well, bringing all the pieces together, there was some additional um, collateral material, I think we kind of collected. Uh, so while I didn't change the course of the story, I uh, had a larger role in bringing together the, uh, the collection and some of the design choices, some of the, uh, the, um, the publication choices around it. Uh, a little bit more on that end
0: okay and what made you want to get into writing Uh,
1: well I'd always wanted to write Uh, I had studied uh, film at New York University Uh, while my primary interest was in screenwriting I had thought I was something of a writer in high school with some very bad science fiction and horror (laughs) stories yeah uh, inspired by like mostly like you know bad riffs on H.P. Lovecraft um, I was a huge Stephen King fan. I still am, and he was a, you know, an inspiration as what you could do with a story and the written word. And at at Marvel, even in an editorial role, uh, a lot of editors, a lot of assistant editors, sometimes also wrote different titles. Now, this was all uh, driven by two things: people's interest in comics. Most people working at Marvel were were big fans of comics and wanted to to help create and and probably also financial. Uh, you weren't paid a heck of a lot. Uh, I don't think you're still paid a heck of a lot, even by today's standards. Right. And so you would look at a combination of, do I want to have a chance to put my story out in the world? And do I want to put a little bit more money in my pocket? And that was certainly my interest on, on both fronts. But I would say I was driven more by, I wanted to see my name in print. I wanted to, to create a story and and be the force. Behind it and have people know that.
0: So, how did you land the job on Daredevil then?
1: Well, I'd been doing uh, what you'd call fill in issues, you know, odds and ends and, and bits and pieces, some hysterical, like uh, Thundercats. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Some, some a little bit more learned, still kind of hysterical in their own way, but learned, I mean, that I would get more feedback. I had um, uh, done some work on uh, Solo Avengers, which was a title that Mark Grunewald had put together, and Mark was an extraordinary editor who mm-hmm. would give you terrific feedback. I'm sure with your interest in that time zone of comics, you know oh, yes. of Mark's you know, um, input and Mark's contributions to comics overall and Marvel specifically.
0: Absolutely. But
1: um, So even on a short story, Mark gave such incredible feedback. Uh, it was really uh, something you could learn from. Uh, I had been able to parlay some of that into working on On S.H.I.E.L.D., I I was writing Nick Fury, and that was a great run, and I was learning a lot from that. And one of the guys who was exposed to that was Ralph Macchio, who was the editor on Daredevil. And I talked to Ralph, and Ralph liked what I was doing. I liked what I was doing with a classic character. That's all nice, whatever. I'm not going to follow that path. Where is that going to lead? But Ralph was, um, uh, as a fan of the S.H.I.E.L.D. work, and as the editor on Daredevil, I got a call, and I remember this distinctly, it was over Thanksgiving, and Steve Buscellato, who was uh, I worked with at, at Epic, um, called me and said, And Ascenti's going to leave the title, you should really take a swing at it. And I was, well, I had a certain level of overconfidence and, and probably misplaced arrogance at that point. No way did I think I was ready to, to go after Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Daredevil was one of the big right? Marvel titles, one of the big Marvel characters. That yeah. Just, just come off of not too much before uh, Born Again. Yeah. And Anne's run was, was very successful and well lauded. Uh, maybe someday, I, but I can't take a crack at this now. But uh, Stephen uh, was super encouraging, and uh, so I wrote a proposal. And uh, I could actually send it to you, or it's up on the web somewhere. And the proposal was based around two things. It was based around sort of treating the city as a kind of a character, because mm-hmm. I felt he was really tied into it. And it was based upon the idea of, let's finally take the kingpin down for real. Mm. All these all these dances, you know, he's in the office, they're on a dock, they're on a rooftop, and, you know, next time you cross the line, fat man, I'm going to come after you. Um, you know, just try it, Daredevil. You know, <laughs> yeah, <that laughs> Classic, it, it, yeah. It had it, it become you know, in my mind, like sort of toothless, right? All villains and heroes confront each other, Mm -hmm. but unless at some point you you pay off it, it's like the old Hitchcock adage, you know, of of filmmaking. You you don't show a gun in the first act if you don't ultimately have somebody fire in the third act. And I just said, why don't we take him down? Really take him down. And uh, the proposal apparently struck Ralph enough that he called me up and said, you've got it. You've got the title. Um, you know, pick up uh, the next couple issues as Ann's leaving and then let's figure out how we how we start to integrate this storyline of yours, um, which happened to coincide, uh, you know, specifically with uh, the 300th issue. So it, it was a, a perfect uh, synergy of things. And then the other part of that, of course, was uh, getting Lee Weeks on the title.
0: So tell me a little bit about working with Lee Weeks.
1: Uh Lee was a dream right uh Lee had been on the title i i think uh, just shortly before I joined so um it was uh it was a learning um effort in the sense we hadn't worked together before, but uh we synced up uh, really well we were both i think at a good point in our career to to learn from each other and to kind of encourage each other and it, it and argue with each other and <laughs> <laughs> and go through um you know, different instances there. But as we certainly built toward that that 300th issue, uh, we were pretty much in lockstep and we were in high agreement of where we wanted to go, the levels of excitement, in all ways except one, which I'll tell you about if you want to. But it was also, uh, you know, I was in New York or living close to New York, and I was able to provide Lee with a lot of reference that was very helpful, I think, to giving that story some of its extra, extra charge, that final fight in the, uh, in the port authority between, uh, bus uh, terminal between the two of them, Mm -hmm. uh, we had we had choreographed a lot of it out and I was able to go and do a lot of, uh, photo reference and almost walk through the fight in a way. Of course, Lee brought it to life, uh, you know, much more than my, my photos, but that was a way to kind of, I think, capture uh, an additional level of kind of reality to it by, by knowing, Wait they're really here, they're really falling over those stairs they're really crashing into that that pinball like display and those kind of things
0: yeah that uh sequence definitely stands out as like so well rendered he's just a solid storyteller as well like, he's, oh, yeah. his, his his the cinematography of his work is just fantastic
1: it is he underrated himself for so long and made to some extent his ego is not as strong as I think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, well sometimes it is, but um he's uh he really brings that quality of uh, uh you nailed it it's, it has a very cinema like quality mm-hmm. and yet uses the medium of comics uh to its very specific way uh, in a very very powerful way and the way he he conjures different characters uh the strength of batman the the life quality of a daredevil you know it it really it's very true to each it feels to me
0: and were you writing in the, like the Marvel method where you'd give him the yeah. plot and he'd take it from there and then you script over top.
1: I did. It, it was, um, it, it was the house style. Yep. Uh, although people were very open to it. You know, I know they separate the two or did separate the two at one point. Um, but everyone was fine if you wanted to kind of go full script, that wasn't a, a problem. I actually found the, if you're working with a really good artist like Lee, uh, you, um, I actually benefited from that in a lot of ways because I would still in my head think out what's the panel count, what's the page count, at least in the way that I could do it. I would never create a sequence that said um, page six to seventeen. They fight.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> although I, I, I have seen I have seen plots from, from writers who do that. Right. Yeah. I would I would generally spell out what I thought was going to happen. Um, what was the motivation? What was the intent An angle here or close up here? Obviously the artist had the license to interpret that. But what I would find with an artist like Lee would be that and on Daredevil, a lot of times what I would get back would then be an additional level of inspiration because now I could script something that was being drawn out of the art, or I could, um, I might be able to go in a slightly different direction because they had brought so much forward in the art already, I could maybe comment on something else in the, in the writing. So if I had scripted it out all ahead of time, I think I would have missed uh, some moments that, um, that didn't come true to me until I saw uh, those pencils.
0: Wow. Okay, so fall of the kingpin. What was the reaction after the kingpin fell? from yep. From just the general public and also from the Marvel offices.
1: I think the story was very well received and people thought we had nailed a lot of what we had set out to do. I think that um, the Marvel office as well had a lot of positive reaction to the, to the story. Uh, I look back at it now and I don't feel if I was contributing something to that end of it that we did enough of the right things with Fisk um, afterwards, though, Mm. you know, he sort of went into the shadows a little bit, which was part of the, the intent you wanted him to kind of go really go down, you know, really hit street level and then build it back up. And I think that I, um, and maybe editorial, uh, you know, they can take a little bit of blame, you know, lost some focus on, all right, where, what are we doing with him now? Where is he going? We don't want him immediately back in power three issues later, but how do we play this out in a way that is that is still him re, re reestablishing himself in a in a new way? And, and there's a little bit of a nod of that along the way. But um, I don't um, I don't know that uh, I did my best part in in contributing to that with the issues that I like still had to go. And I'm not even sure because it's not a story that I read. I don't. I'm not even aware of how they ultimately put him back in power if they just one day said he's the kingpin again or if there was a a Genesis story where he, he reestablished
0: himself. My memory is fuzzy in this period, but I think he like went overseas and built up an empire like in China or something. Oh, and cool. And then I think right. Chris Claremont brought him back in the Fantastic Four. In, or no, not Fantastic Chris. Four, in, in X-Men. Yeah. Okay, okay. But that's, um, somebody may correct me um when they're listening to this interview (laughs) i'm not totally sure but that's that's i think i think i remember that happening okay yep but yeah he stayed he stayed low for quite a while there
1: well that's good then in that in that way although it's such an interesting character as i said I, i think it the building up is is was always part of the idea and uh i just don't think we we and again i'll take my responsibility there uh built him up in quite the way that uh even as reference sort of within that that proposal, yeah, that initial proposal I did,
0: so the next kind of big storyline you had uh was um dead man's hand with uh with, which you were writing with Chuck Dixon and fabian uh Nicieza. right hmm can you tell me a little bit about working on a multi part story that has multiple writers?
1: It could be utter hell <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah i can imagine <laughs> yep for sure.
1: because you know then you've got people with different levels of ego and different levels of coordination yeah and does my character get to do this and my, no i want that bit for my character the the fact was um uh, chuck and fabian and i got along very well and uh it was a real no drama situation i think this one is where my memory will get a little bit fuzzy um we either got together for lunch uh, and uh, and really just kind of hashed most of it out and said, okay, here's the major beats. Your character is going to do this. Your character is going to do this. Daredevil's is going to do that. Um, here's how we'll 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 play it through. And that's it, it. Definitely can work. You know, when you've got folks who respect each other's uh, abilities and their talents and their and their characters, and knowing that you're doing a crossover to, as much as anything else, probably drive some level of sales. Uh, I think that one was m- not completely artistically driven, if you will. It wasn't like we suddenly said, oh, my God, here's a story that has to be told. Um, there was, you know, yeah. there was some interest in, listen, let's create a little mini event among our, uh, you know, our, our cadre of characters. Uh, maybe that'll get a, a some additional attention from the readership, additional attention from Marvel's um, Uh, marketing and advertising folks and if we do that here's how we can do it in a in a dramatic fashion for the characters but a no drama way for us and so um, we worked it out we presented it to the editors and I don't really remember much um, hiccups in the way of oh no you guys are way off we were pretty uh, because we went in with a fairly solid proposal and we assured everybody we could make it work I'm fairly certain everybody was pretty cool on us us doing it in that way
0: hmm. well that's good wow
1: <laughs> but but you could have you could have really complicated ones you know as well and oh, I, sure. I would be part of those too
0: I see your career on Daredevil here as kind of two distinct halves there's the pre fall from grace and the post fall from grace mm-hmm. and i there's um I think a lot of that feeling has to do with um with Scott McDaniel's art style. Yep. Because Lee Weeks was very, very traditional in right. his presentation of, of the book and his yep. work, his panel layouts and everything like that. Very traditional. And then and then Scott comes in, um and he's got a very different style, very dynamic, and I and I it's almost like it's a good example of like the transition that comics was making during the nineties here. Mm-hmm. Um can you tell me a little bit about what it was like working with Scott McDaniel and and his his way of uh, storytelling and his art style?
1: Sure. I mean, I'd actually be so bold as to kind of split my thinking up into three parts. If okay.
0: You know, sure. Yeah. You know, let's hear.
1: Because um, I think um, I think Lee was was one category, yeah. and the, the the fierceness of working up to that major issue and that major story, and Lee's style was amazing right and then as i said there was that synergy we had a laser focus we knew where we were going his cinematic style and his uh character um integrity like his 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 work felt very street level in in its own way which contributed terrifically to that story um and and i i do very well with good partnerships and that was definitely a very good partnership then in the interim between Scott coming on the title. There was a little bit of a gap. There was a little bit of back and forth of various different artists kind of on the title. Right. Uh, it didn't have a good lock. Um, the character needs a good lock. Frankly, I think I needed a good lock, and I think some of the stories floated there, and that's what I where I think. Uh, and I'm being judgmental on myself as much as anything else. Maybe that's good for your podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, and and some of the things that were even outlined in that initial, you know, Kingpin falls cities, the character, so, so on and so forth. Uh, we didn't follow up on. And, and maybe part of that was because there wasn't that, that lock of, okay, who's a partner here. Um, you know, I desperately uh, begged Ron Garney at one point to to try to come on <laughs> because, uh, Ron and I had done a couple of things together and, uh, in fact, there's one issue in there that was like a Day in the Life of Daredevil issue um, that I've always liked a lot. Um, it was just like a 24-hour, 34-hour yeah.
0: time. Yeah, that one was great.
1: But that was a little bit of a kind of, okay, let's find our way. And then Scott came on the title. And the first run of issues with Scott were um, Scott finding his way. Scott was, you know, was Scott's really, I think, first big professional job.
0: Mm-hmm. He
1: was He was establishing a a more traditional style or what was his style. And then when it did come time for fall from grace, uh, because we all knew it was going to be this thing and we were trying to make a big deal of it. That was a time where he decided to, uh, take a lot of chances and draw a lot of influences and try to establish a new, uh, a new approach for himself, which would also then be a new approach for, for daredevils character. Right. So I, I found Scott's partnership in that first set—it was much as his artwork was. He was finding his way. Once he decided on that style, uh, we were we were very much in 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 sync and very much in communication uh, constantly uh, on the phone every day, every couple of days, talking through things. Uh, here's where the story is going. Here's something we're going to try out. Uh, but it was a it was a different quality of art and a different quality of of character. Scott's a different person than Lee. But I, but I, I always found my partnerships with him to be very, um, you know, very fluid. And when I would see the art coming back, it would be that sense of, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of what i see in my head. Um, I don't know that I always um, executed my scripts as well as I should have with certain things. Uh, knowing that his style was exploratory and maybe bringing in like different uh, levels of, um, you, you know, the way panels would lay out and, and the way that his, his line work would make some things um, more, more shadowy or more uh, abstract in certain ways. Uh, looking back at it now, um, even re- rereading, you know, aspects of it uh, in preparation, you know, for this, uh, I might have approached it somewhat differently. If I had my mind now then, but the partnership was was a really, really strong one. I felt.
0: Well, that's good. So did you two come up with the concept of fall from grace together?
1: That's an interesting question. Um, you know there was so much going on at that time, and uh, you know certain aspects of it were driven by we need to get some attention on Daredevil. Uh, we, we need to kind of get the fo- focus on this character. We need to get the spotlight here. What can we do that feels like it, it, drives, um, it drives reader interest, drives our interest? So um, the Electra aspect of it was, was something that we had run around with you know, for a while and kind of discussed and discussed with, with uh, Ralph um, and the editorial office. Uh, that was a that was a piece of it that was on the back burner for a long time. I mean, there was okay. aspects of that that we didn't actually land on until I'm not going to say the moment we started, but it was pretty close you know, until Ralph said, you know what? All right, go ahead, do it.
0: Okay. Um, wow.
1: Because uh, <laughs> and, and that's uh, like
0: the one of the central parts of this story.
1: It is. And, and that we had to then rethink, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of approaches, you know, uh, based upon that. But, but since we'd been playing with it, we also had very, you know, very strong ideas about where it would go. Um, but then it was, Oh no, we're not going to do it. Okay. Well, I guess we're going to rethink this. Uh, but I had some, I guess, aspects of the general flow of it in mind. I had the, uh, the aspects of, um, where it would land at the end, uh, where, where Matt would step back from, you know, that aspect of his identity, mm-hmm. uh, in mind. And, um, and then, so I'll take credit maybe for the, 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 central spine of the story, but as we went through it and would talk about uh, things from, from issue to issue, then there was certainly a lot of, uh, a lot of back and back and forth to try to, make sure we were delivering on things that, that felt true to the story, but also were hopefully good for Scott. I, I believe you want to play to an artist's strengths if you're, if you're working so closely with somebody and you're asking them to, uh, to shoulder that. So if Scott wasn't really interested in this, I'm not going to you know create a, create a scene in a space station if he has no interest in a, in a space station, right. that kind of thing. Um, yeah,
0: it definitely looks like he leans more towards the uh, the street level characters since he's been on, you know, Batman and Nightwing and such as well. This looks like his strength for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, he I think he liked, or at least liked, um, you know, there were some aspects of what he 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 enjoyed that were somewhat more fantastical too. I'll say, right. uh, and even the way I I would try to describe and the way he visualized um characters like the snake root you know the the hands extension and those sort of uh characters mm-hmm. um they're not quite street level i don't think they're, they're more right. they're,
0: they're a little more, bit more fantasy
1: yeah exaggerated and yeah. that was there was aspects of of things that i think he enjoyed there there too so and that was all part of him probably playing out playing out some interest
0: Okay. So, Fall from Grace. Yep. So you said that Electra was on the back burner for a while, but um was was um bringing her back something that you kind of would wanted wanted to do even like once you started Daredevil from the very beginning?
1: No. I mean, I respected everything that was done with the character uh and and I think she had a a, a terrific arc. So I wasn't champing at the bit, let's let's undo this. Let's bring this character back. But as we started to talk through aspects of this story of, of people being, uh, you, you know, uh, confronted with, you know, drastic situations, uh, with, um, with this uh, redemption, you know, kind, kind of quality of things. Uh, and there was chatter, you know, in the offices always about, well, what about Electra? What about Electra? So no one drove us to do it. But there was always conversation around that. So when you start to spitball ideas, in an editorial group in a editor, writer, artist, you know, sort of way you play. What if everybody plays? What if that's the best part of storytelling, right? So, well, what if we brought a back and now there's no place for her here? What if we brought a back? No, there's no place for here. What if we brought a back here within this kind of story? Would she have a role? Well, she could, mm-hmm. she could, she could be integral to that. Well, certain things were discussed with Frank Miller. So, okay. that's not going to happen. Okay, well, let's not use Electra then. Hmm. Then a couple of weeks later, well, what about Electra? <laughs> what about Electra? I thought we were doing anything with Electra. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it was a fluid situation when I say the back burner in that way. It wasn't it wasn't driven by by um, you know, a, a mandate. It wasn't driven by, "Oh my god, here's something that, um, you know, we, 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 we've always wanted to do. But as the story began to come together in a loose way, then the character and the aspects of her darker side and, and, and what, what, what for there uh, started to feel, wait a minute, this actually serves a purpose. This isn't suddenly like Electra's back, uh, oh my God, sort of thing. It felt like it was it it, it was serving the story. Mm-hmm. And the more we started to lean into that, then it became an integral part of of the the turnabouts in the story, of the choices in the story, of the the meaningfulness of it, if you will. And uh, at that point, then we pressed Ralph Moore, I would say, or maybe I pressed Ralph Moore listen, we have to make a decision on this because if we don't do this, this is becoming so um, intertwined with the story. This isn't just, oh, we can swap out Storm for Electra, right? Or something like that. Or it's like, oh, let's just bring in, you know, if you've got a big guy who's got to hit something and you can't use the Hulk, you can throw in the thing or something like that. Um, That's not always the way you approach it, but sometimes, (laughs) you know, a story needs a certain... Uh, character type to move things along and maybe you can do some swapping out. This started to become in our discussions really important to Matt, really important to, um, the, the instances, some of the MacGuffins within the story, if you will. And that's when I, I started to press Ralph Moore and said, listen, we're dancing. Some days were on, some weeks were off. What, what's your, what's your feeling here? And that's when he finally said, you know what, let's do it. And then once that was the case, then we just embraced it and again embraced it for the story not for not for the you know the effect of it and and i think you know you you see that even in the in the way a lot of the stories were promoted even the way the covers were designed uh, if we really were wanted to kind of make a a a shameless deal of it and maybe we should have i don't know you know <laughs> we should have put her on the cover and said electra's back
0: you know and that in that
1: <laughs> And we didn't. We we played it out more, yeah. you know, the sigh and those kind of things. So,
0: Did bringing Electra back kind of derail some plans that you had for Matt and Karen? Because you were oh. kind of getting them back onto speaking terms earlier in your run.
1: Yep, yep. No, it really didn't because um, uh, Electra I saw as... Uh, Especially the way it ends up where she, you know, reabsorbs sort of the, the dark half of herself, takes mm-hmm. that back into herself, you know, cuts her off from the chase and, and so forth. Um, and then we did a, a, a spinoff series. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but Scott and I did this little sort of Electra Root of Evil uh, four issue series, which, you know, I was quite happy with the way that turned out. And, um, and I saw Electra as a character unto herself obviously she would, she would come back in and out of Matt's life, but I saw the way that he was evolving himself and the way that she was going in her own way as not suddenly, Oh my God, Karen gets kicked to the curb, but that there could be some interesting uh, dynamics there. I mean, there were a lot of thoughts coming out of fall from grace uh, because it was relatively successful and had gotten a lot of attention back on the character, uh, which was our intent. Um, to do a lot of um, uh, integrated and associated uh, Daredevil titles, we, we had probably four or five things, um, you know, ready to, to, to cook in one way or the other uh, that were almost like a mini Daredevil Daredevil universe. And then I was uh, fired. So, um...
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that takes that takes you off in a different direction. Yeah, but. Um, but certainly Electra, probably in my mind, would have become a character that we would have played with in within the Daredevil title. Yep. There would have been places where maybe I would have been lucky enough to do some more Electra work on its own. And then in the best of possible shared universe ways, Electra could have been used elsewhere, would have been used elsewhere. But generally the way it works is, you know, editorial office has control over the character yeah so if another editorial office wants to use it, if the editorial office that owns the character knows their stuff and respects the character, they'll keep it true even if there's a spinoff series being done by so and so under another editor at least that's the theory. It doesn't always work out, but I would think that um you know Ralph and Pat and and so would have would have you know kept kept the guardrails up
0: mm-hmm so the, the story after Fall from Grace, Tree of Knowledge, um, mm-hmm. were you a big computer guy were in the 90s?
1: Yeah, you could tell, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe too much.
0: It was, because um, uh, yeah. that's sort of like, um, computers were just becoming sort of uh, really popular at the time. I, I don't even, I can't remember if the internet was a commonplace at this time or not. But uh, what, uh, tell me about writing Tree of Knowledge and what you wanted to accomplish with that story.
1: Well, a lot of what I was, kind of into at that point was wired magazine was very young uh, mondo 2000 was another kind of magazine you're right it was a very still relatively early time in in internet and computer culture and and it felt to me at least a lot of what was being discussed was very much on the on the fringe of things it was on the fringe of things you know you, you will go back now and you watch some news reports on, there's a thing called email. It's
0: <laughs> you
1: know, and, and, but a lot of the things that were being done felt very, they were very raw. They felt to me, rightly or wrongly, very street. You know, there was, you know, the way hackers were approaching things, it wasn't very sophisticated, it was very raw. This, this felt like a different kind of of street-level story that didn't mean that that's what Daredevil was going to be all about, but that this was something that had, you know, some some meaning in in a kind of a more tech tech but raw way. And that's what I thought was worthwhile exploring, especially as what happened, uh, you know, in the course of that story so drastically affected some of the character of the city, right? There became yeah. these martial law qualities, there were um, there were upsets, you know, within the whatever you want to call it, the societal, you know, fabric driven by this, this raw misuse of technology. Um, And that was the certainly the the thinking behind it, whether it was uh, as well executed as as it could be uh, from my end. uh, That's debatable, even by me, I think there's some really great bits. I think the story suffers uh somewhat from uh trying to repeat some of the mechanisms of fall from grace primarily uh probably the guest star quality like right. it probably, probably could have been kept down to to one or two very central characters because uh, we were introducing a whole villain group we had you know we uh, had system there, crash yeah, there's a lot of there was a lot of layers and and probably um uh, probably you know there there's a lot of layers and I should have been more judgmental on myself um, and again I'll, I'll blame editorial a little bit don't let me get away with it you know <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> like, like raid me in you know it's like it's yeah. it's uh, uh, you can have a, a dozen great ideas and then you want an editorial uh, you know group to to sometimes come back in and say these six are the ones you want to focus on um, you know I did an interview Couple years back, um, with uh, uh, Kuljit Mithra, who's the guy who runs the um, really excellent "Man Without Fear" uh, website, mm-hmm. and he's been running this the site forever. And he did an interview around "Fall from Grace," um, you know, with uh, with me and Scott and a couple other people, um, I believe. And uh, you know, one of the things we talked about there was the in, the initial proposal forefall from grace that we kind of ran past Tom DeFalco at one point. Um, You know, Tom was, you know, on, on, off, hot, cold. Uh, Wasn't that taken with it, you know, overall. um, And had some thoughts about like, well, I think you can really strip this out. You can take this down. You can get rid of this. You can simplify that Uh, arrogantly, you know, probably didn't listen to him uh, as much as I should have right? And, and in hindsight, I think Tom was right on a mm. lot of those, those aspects. Uh, there's a lot of great parts of the story I'll stand by, uh, but you can have, you know, the all-you-can-eat buffet sometimes isn't what you need. Uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. and, um, and so I've, you know, over time, as maybe I've matured, you know, you look back and you say, yeah, that's all good, but but sometimes you need to kind of make those choices. So, but that was the that was the thinking behind Tree of Knowledge. You know that it was um, playing with, I'll call street level tech, and seeing where that could take a daredevil story in one way or the other.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I also appreciated the um, the like Karen Page's story through this as well, because all of a sudden this new technology presents new challenges for her, um, right. based on her her past and such.
1: Yep. So, yeah, definitely trying to kind of continue, you know, to pull that through. It made, uh, you know, the some aspects of the, the pornography and stuff, um, you know, I don't think Scott was like those parts of the story too much as yeah. we discussed. So we had some, you know, discussions on how to handle it because I thought it was important for the character, but also not to get into things that he was, you know, uncomfortable with.
0: Right. Uh, so one thing we haven't mentioned yet is a Daredevil's new costume. Mm. Can you did, tell?
1: Did you get a new costume, Curtis? I <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like you. I, was this uh, the new costume? Your idea?
1: Okay. we we were a pretty tightly knit team at that point, so yeah. it's hard to take credit for, you know, either good or bad ideas. Like me, Scott, Ralph, Pat. Um, it was a pretty tight unit of conversation of what can we do, what can we make happen. Um, a costume change is is a sales gimmick. In one way, yeah, and there was some conversation around that. Remember, we were trying to to bootstrap the heck out of Daredevil in a way that he wasn't. You know, I've joked before if he wasn't a, somebody wasn't a mutant or bitten by a spider, it was very hard at one point to get a lot of attention at Marvel, right? In, inside Marvel, like
0: yeah, you just yeah. Get, like
1: marketing dollars. So, um, and and Daredevil would usually get attention if. Frank Miller worked on it, but if Frank Miller wasn't working on it, not a lot of attention sometimes. Hmm. so um, we, we, as we thought toward this, this story, you know, this, this powerful story, hopefully, um, that kind of came up as an idea, and but just to sort of have him show up on page, you know, 15, and say, hey, what do you think? My new costume. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> That's where we didn't want to go. So we did try to kind of create a, a situation around it where, uh, again, there was, there was a sense of meaning. So the fact he was suddenly going up against a lot of uh, destructive forces all at once, um, you know, is what led us to the, the reasoning for the, for the costume. And, and I, I think there was some interesting thinking behind what it would do, what it would be made out of. Um, and so I guess in that instance, I, I drove that part of it. And then I was definitely part of the back and forth with, um, with Scott and Ralph on, on Scott's designs, you know, where, where would something land? What was right? What was wrong? Um, I think in one of the collections, um, they actually sort of probably reprinted some of like Scott's designs. Yes. Um, The one I have has a lot of things. Some are more um almost uh like a dojo influence some of them are more power ranger influenced it seems you know, something in between there
0: right yeah some of them look like uh, mortal Kombat characters right right right
1: <laughs> we have, have the scene where daredevil tore somebody's spine out yeah right <laughs> um
0: i see that i see your influence then in that case with the uh your way of thinking about this new costume um the The people who created the costume for the Netflix show were mm-hmm. really thinking along those same lines with uh, the padding and uh, thinking that through. How would this guy who doesn't really have any powers protect himself? So right. well, he'd build it into his costume.
1: Right. I, I did the the night that the the costume was finally revealed. I did post to my friends on Facebook. Finally, validation.
0: <laughs> there you, you know, go. <laughs>
1: You know, and it was, I got a lot of, you know, funny responses, you know, to that or a few. Um, obviously, it's not the same costume, but nope. I, I think there there are influences, mm-hmm. you know, you know, there to whether they read that work or just came to the same conclusion. I, I don't know one way or the other, but um, that was part of our thinking that didn't make the character any, you know, because certainly I got a lot of uh, a lot of opinionated feedback from different fans on. How dare you change the costume if he has some kind of protective quality to it? Does that make him less of a daredevil? Does that make him less of a hero? And to our thinking, it was, it was just a thoughtful reaction to the, to the situation that he, he was in and, and didn't take anything away. The, the problem with the costume... Uh, which which came to to bear really quickly uh, was that nobody except Scott could draw it. <laughs> uh, oh, No, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know because everything we had talked about, right? It was supposed to have this um, biomimetic influence, right? All these harder qualities, this uh, this uh, spider silk or this uh, uh, um, you know abalone or abalone or seashell type quality, like all these all these um, elements drawn from natural uh, substance research that was supposed to make aspects of it really tough. were also supposed to be well integrated into the fabric or the plating and therefore still a very fluid uh, costume or, or, or outfit or uniform or whatever for, for Daredevil so that all the things that he was about could still be there. Everybody else who drew the damn thing would, would, do everything except add rivets to it. You know, they treated it like it was a low level Tony Stark creation. And, and it, and it looked that way. It was bulky. The plating was, was, uh, was, you know, overdrawn. And, uh, and that was, um, that was the damnable thing about it was Scott understood what it was supposed to do. So he would, he would do a very, a very flowing line with everything with the motion and the the flow of the costume everybody else seemed to treat it like it was like it was very dense uh, armor. And um, and that was, uh, it, it's the thing that really, I think, under, undercut what we tried to do more than anything.
0: Wow, isn't that interesting? Well, the thing you don't think about when you do the, a lot of designing.
1: Well, you, you, yeah, you, you do, but you think, oh, everybody's going to get it, right?
0: Right. Well, I mean, that's what I mean, is that you don't realize other people's interpretations.
1: That's it. That's right.
0: Yeah. You had alluded earlier about being fired off this book. If you don't want to talk about this, then that's fine.
1: I don't mind talking about it. If I can't get over it in 25 or 30 years, i got got yeah. bigger problems, right? No, no um, that was a, a situation of uh, the book had changed editorial hands. Uh, it had gone out from under Ralph into um, Bobby Chase's office. Um, Bobby was, uh, I believe, putting things under kind of a a sub imprint within Marvel. I think they were calling it something like Marvel Knights. And it was a lot of um the street level characters. It was Daredevil, it might have been the Punisher. Um
0: yeah, Marvel, I think it was Marvel Edge. Marvel Edge. Yeah. Okay, and sure then Marvel Knights like... came a little lo- that was the Kevin Smith what stuff was Marvel okay. Knights. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well Marvel Edge, but it was that was the idea. Yeah. And it was like, okay, switching over. That's disappointing. I had a good relationship with Ralph and uh I knew Ralph understood the character, Um, but uh, I had a, I thought, good relationship with Bobby. I had worked with her office on a a book called Night Stalkers, which was a kind of a a supernatural uh, Ghostbusters sort of title, Mm -hmm. and and then kind of out of the blue, I was midway through um, uh, working on some upcoming stories, and I got a call from... From somebody who said, "I'm not supposed to tell you this, but you're being fired off the title." Oh boy! And so I was a shocked, b uh, disappointed because um, I thought it was a pretty cowardly thing to do. If you're going to fire me, then fire me. Like yeah. i it's, it's work for hire, right? It, it's uh, I am a licensed or whatever. You know, I'm a contracted writer on a title that's owned by. The company. These things happen. They're not. They're not easy to take, especially when you've done a lot of work and you think you've contributed to it. But that was a. Um, that was a bit of a. a like a shock, just overall, because I had had no advance notice of. Of uh, you know, you're you're screwing up a deadline, or your stories aren't going in a good direction, or we want you to do this, and you're being resistant to that and you're not taking editorial guidance or whatever. It was just a, uh, it felt to me like, um, all right, now I have control of this title. I want to, I want to put somebody new on it, which again is editorial, I guess. um, Fiat, they can do that. Yeah. Feel right. And again, I never, I never heard from Bobby's office actually directly on that. Oh, wow. Uh, it, It was just sort of put out there in this kind of weak, you know, you're you're not supposed to know this, but I'm telling you this sort of way. And then I, I did some checking around and found out. Like, I guess maybe one day I would have sent a story and a voucher in, and it just would have come back with a sorry thing on it. I don't know. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe that would have been how I would have ultimately found out if I hadn't gotten this inside, uh, like, sort of scoop. So, um, so it was a very ungracious kind of um uh you know what is, what is the expression you know that the world doesn't end with a bang it ends with a whimper you know sort right. of thing yeah so it was a very petering out thing the 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 positive if there is any you know from that was uh uh you know and it was a couple of years later would be that um right before the kevin smith era right uh, mm-hmm. with, where where Darryl had sort of go on wherever Daredevil was going to go. They were ending Volume 1. It was going to relaunch with Volume 2. Um, was uh, Nobody was paying much attention, I guess, to the book again, uh, waiting for this relaunch. And uh, I got a call from uh, an editor named Tim Toey, who I'd done some work with uh, in the past, and he said, listen, nobody's paying much attention to this now. I think the first volume should end... On a kind of a bang, do you and Lee want to get back together and do um, a, a fun, you know, and end the run, as it were? Uh, which I thought was an extraordinary offer and, yeah. and a big deal. And uh, I called up Lee, and and uh, first he was not sure because Lee is always very forward thinking, and he had obviously moved on. He had done a lot of his own writing, he had done other characters, and at first I think he thought this is kind of going going backwards uh but we we talked and and i'm it's one of the true delights i guess you know of of a of a career in a way that he 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 saw the potential in it and we were able to do this uh you know this story which kind of existed on its own but i felt hit a lot of the great um you know notes of of what made our team up well and and it was a nice way to kind of return to the character and give him uh his due at least from my point of view um and a, a story i enjoyed quite a bit doing
0: so yeah that's quite an honor to be able to uh well i mean i guess no one was paying attention to the book so <laughs> is yeah, it an honor it was or a, not
1: it was, it was his old pocket universe honor it wasn't like the yeah. entire company got together and said you know what this is the guy that yeah. needs to do it but at the same time it, it we were the ones who got to do it and and i think it's a story that that you know we didn't we didn't phone it in we we thought about it we mm-hmm. we made it as impactful as we possibly could and um and, and you even got it, to uh,
0: sneak in your armor in a little bit there yes absolutely <laughs> yeah,
1: there, there were a couple yeah, thank you for noticing yeah, there was a little bit of that and actually, if you read that scene or if I remember correctly it's it was meant to sort of poke fun at that exact thing you right know, that everybody else was treating it as
0: uh, <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely, wow. This has been great, so what is your uh favorite issue from your run on daredevil
1: um wow that's um that's a that's a tough thing i mean i i would say it's probably between um can I pick two or do I, you're going to hold me one you no know? uh, two
0: is fine i'll I'll let you we, get away with that yeah
1: get me away with this um i mean i think three hundred and actually um I think 300 and 304 are probably my my favorites. 300 obviously being the big conclusion of the Kingpin story, and mm-hmm. then uh, and then 304, if I'm thinking correctly, was the one with Ron Garney, which was just the sort of day in the life.
0: Yeah, um, the 36 situation. hours.
1: Yeah, and it was just a, a kind of a a, a a nice feeling of that that city integration that I was trying to to go for, and it was a lot of the exploration of um, of the sensory aspect of, of Daredevil. It was a lot of aspect of everything from very small things to very, uh, life threatening things. And, um, to me, it, uh, it has its own, it own, its own special quality in that way.
0: Do you do any comic book work these days?
1: um, Actually it's interesting. I'm I'm talking to an artist now about a an idea that we've been kicking around for a few years. I can't I don't know if it's going to become something for real, but uh, after many years uh, it's it's an idea that we had actually had many many years ago and uh, we kind of got back in touch and and just said did you ever do anything with that? No, did you ever do anything with that? No. So we um we're we're, we're kind of looking at maybe Getting back together on on something there, but knocking on wood, I don't want to jinx it because it's way way too early now. Right. And uh, probably the, mo- the most I've done on other things has been an intro for a collected edition of this or that um, over over the years. When I when I kind of separated from comics, um, my focus ended up being. Um, in a lot of other ways and it just kind of became sort of all encompassing in in its, in its own way. And maybe I was also feeling a little bit, you know, cut off from where comics kind of ended for me. Mm -hmm. But I I think it's a, I think it's a, you know, it's a terrific medium and it's, and it's so much fun and, and uh, there's no, there's nothing about it except positive aspects to me, to my mind.
0: Right. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. This was very interesting and very uh, informative. I, I know a lot more about the books that you worked on now, and, uh, and just I think that makes it more enjoyable to read as well, just knowing the work and the passion that goes behind it.
1: Well, that's good. I'm glad it turned out to be a good conversation, Curtis. Thank you again for the, uh, the invitation to, to do this.